Hey Trekkies, welcome back to another episode of Yelling About Star Trek. My name is Chris Fox, and this is the show where you can hear me yell about all things Star Trek so my friends and family don't have to. Today, I want to talk about one of my favorite Star Trek series, Star Trek Voyager. And as I say this, I realize this is a stupid thing to say because I love all Trek. Well, I should clarify, I love all classic Trek. And when I say classic Trek, I mean like everything from the original series all the way to Enterprise. I don't quite love Discovery and some of the new shows yet, but I think I'm getting there. But with Voyager, there's so much that I love about the show that just makes me think, wow, this is an amazing Star Trek series. But there's also stuff that I hate about Voyager. The things that make me go, Voyager, why are you doing this to me? How could you? But in all honesty, I wouldn't have it any other way. So that's enough yammering. Let's get on with it. Now, because I don't want to start off this podcast on a negative note, I want to talk about something that I love about the series, and that is the premise. The premise is something that's very simple, but completely understandable and very compelling. And that's this idea that, well, Voyager is a show about a starship, a Federation starship that has been stranded in the Delta Quadrant, and they have to get home using their wit and their, not their wit so much, but rather their resourcefulness and their uh, integrity, I guess, is maybe a good way of saying it. Because I don't want to come off as overly negative, I want to start off talking about something that I love about the show, and that is the premise. The premise of a show can really impact how good it is and can impact how bad a show is. With Voyager, it's a very compelling premise, but also very simple. And that's just simply a Federation starship stranded from home in the Delta Quadrant, limited resources, all they have is each other uh, to get themselves out of that situation. So as a concept, it's it's brilliant. And I think it's definitely one of the more intriguing premises of a Star Trek series. For example, if you compare that to DS9, which I think DS9, well, surprisingly is my favorite series, actually has one of the least exciting premises. Oh, it's just a space station where people come and go. And it's like, okay, well, they're in a space station. Ooh, whoop-de-doo. But of course, with DS9, they execute it so well, and it's just so gripping to watch. But with Voyager, you're like, okay, I'm in. Federation ship stranded on the other side of the the galaxy, or in the Delta Quadrant in this case, limited resources, sign me up. Unfortunately, the whole premise and the idea of them being stranded in the other side of the the galaxy, or the Delta Quadrant, because it's not really the other side of the galaxy, but stranded, really wasn't handled in the best way and really didn't live up to that potential. And that actually leads me to one of the things that I hate about Voyager, or rather strongly dislike, and that is the lack of lack of resources. Now, this is a weird way of saying it, but I feel like it's a bit catchy. But essentially what I mean is the fact that they don't really seem to deal with the issue of not having enough resources. They constantly mention, especially in the first season, that, oh, they don't have uh, unlimited power and they, they need this mineral or they need that resource and they need to do this thing and go that place to get this stuff. Uh, a lot of times it's like, oh, no, we don't have deuterium. We need deuterium. Uh, where's the deuterium? We need more deuterium. And so you get the sense that, okay, wow, yeah, they're going to they're gonna worry about resources. But then we never really see them actually dealing with not having that resource. Captain Janeway is still able to get her coffee, which is, you know, always a bit of a joke. And uh, the characters are able to go on the holodeck whenever they want. 
because for some reason, I think they explain that the holodeck power grid is separate from the power grid for the rest of the ship. So when the ship doesn't have any power, they can still go to the holodeck. It's weird, but it it shows them just not really dealing with any sort of lack of resources and they're living comfortably. They're, they're eating all the food they want. Granted, they do have replicator rations, but even that seems like a lazy way of saying, okay, well, look, they're using a ration, so it's limited. But yet, all we see characters doing is eating really good food. And if it's not from the replicator, it's from Neelix. But either way, they're not going hungry. And they're not really ever dealing with this whole concept of, oh my gosh, we have limited resources. We have to conserve our we have to conserve our energy. But even worse than the holodeck situation and um, the other resources that I mentioned, the worst is the whole torpedo situation. Now, this is something that's been on the internet for quite a while and people love talking about, but I have to bring it up. And that is the torpedo, as I said, the torpedo situation. Early on in this series, they specifically say that Voyager only has 38 torpedoes, yet they keep using torpedoes throughout the series. On YouTube, there's a great video that documents or rather catalogs all their torpedoes and the number that they use. I think in that video, by the end of the series, they actually end up using negative 81 torpedoes. So they blew way past the 38 torpedoes. And one could say, ah, well, they're very resourceful. Maybe they replace them somehow, which I would totally buy, except for the fact that Janeway goes out of her way to say, we can't replace them. So the writers clearly thought, oh, this is going to be a great idea because they went out of their way to highlight not only do they have limited torpedoes, but they won't be able to replace them. Yet somehow they seemingly replace them and they don't mention it. So that whole thing is kind of frustrating. Uh, You can even look at the shuttle situation. Uh, Again, this is something that's been kind of talked about on a lot of YouTube channels and fans have noticed this, but they go through so many shuttles in that series and yet they never seem to run out. In fact, they build the Delta Flyer, which would make sense if it was like, hey, we're going to replace the other shuttles, but they don't. They still have the other ones too. So it's weird. But I realize that's a lot of uh, like yammering and yelling about something negative. So I want to try to come back to something that I love. And that is the characters. I don't love all the characters in this series. They're not all well-written. But when you look at Captain Janeway, the Doctor, and Seven of Nine, you get a really great trio I mean, Captain Janeway is amazing because she's full of integrity, determination. She's tough, but she's also fair and caring when she needs to be. Um, So she can really do all the things that you expect a captain to do. And in fact, when they created Janeway, I remember reading this or seeing this somewhere that they wanted someone who was as good as Picard in terms of being ethical and, you know, tough but wanted someone that was more approachable than Picard. They wanted someone that was a little less sullen than Cisco, and they wanted someone who was more responsible, I think, than Captain Kirk. So I think when you get Janeway, you get the complete package. And there's a reason she's my second favorite captain. I still love Captain Picard just because, well, he's Captain Picard and I grew up with him. But Janeway is a very, 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 very close second. So she's phenomenal. And then you've got the Doctor possibly one of my all-time favorite characters of the franchise he's funny he's grumpy which makes him funny he's thoughtful but he's also arrogant and he's a hologram not even just a hologram but he's an emergency program he's basically a tool and he starts off as just this guy who's like well i'm just the the hologram the emergency medical hologram and i don't really care about these people like just turn me off when you're done with me and uh, why did you have to activate me 
to someone who genuinely genuinely cares about the rest of the crew and really kind of proves that you know not only is he a skilled physician but he's someone who's thoughtful caring he's a musician he's artistic he's fallen in love and he's one of the few people on this series to totally and fully embrace uh seven of nine when she came aboard so so that says a lot and then you've got seven of nine someone who i think is one of the best written characters of star trek one of the best acted you know, she's someone from a traumatic past who kind of really learns what it means to be human and to what it means to become human again and to, to find that. Um, so she really goes on a fantastic journey. But when you look at those, when you look at particularly when you look at the Doctor and Seven of Nine, you really do get to see what it means to be human and how to fully embrace that. And then Captain Janeway is, you know, part of that because she really helps both of those characters grow uh, far beyond what they ever thought was possible. So that's what I love. I love those three characters. I think they're phenomenal. Now, with characters, I do have to get into some of the negatives, and that is the fact that I hate some of the other characters. Now, I don't hate them. I actually like all the characters. Basically, if I saw any of them at a convention, I'd be excited because, wow, they're on Voyager, and I like them. And I don't want any of the characters to die. They haven't died yet, as far as I know. So I'm so glad they're on Voyager. But when I say I hate them, it's more that I hate the way they're written. The fact that you get people like Tuvok, you get people like Chakotay. Neelix does get a little bit of character development, but that's something I'm going to touch in in a minute or so. You get Torres, again, a bit better developed. But then you get someone like Ensign Kim, who I would put in with Chakotay and Tuvok in the sense that they don't ever really grow. And Ensign Kim is is this the worst offender. He's badly written, he's given bad storylines, and he remains an Ensign for the entire series. Which, okay, you could maybe argue that, well, because they're stranded away from home and, you know, they're in, they're really, they're 70,000 light years, as I just said, and I'm kind of rambling and reiterating myself. Maybe the way the command structure works doesn't allow for advancement. Okay, I could buy that. But then you have someone like Tom Paris. Tom Paris starts off as a criminal. He's in prison. Janeway comes to find him and says, hey, I think you can redeem yourself. We need you on this mission. Starts off as an observer who holds no rank, eventually becomes promoted to lieutenant by the end of the first episode and remains lieutenant for the majority of the series, gets demoted to Anton for some of his shenanigans, which I actually think was the right call on his part. So he did the right thing in that episode. That's a whole other conversation. And then he's demoted to Ensign for a little while and then gets re-promoted back up to lieutenant. Meanwhile, Ensign Kim is still Ensign Kim for the entire series. And that just hurts. But let's take a look at Nog from DS9, which makes Ensign Kim even worse. Nog starts off as just some little kid that hangs around with Jake Sisko in the first season, kind of not necessarily trustworthy, eventually decides that he wants to join Starfleet. So he applies to the Academy, gets into the Academy, graduates from the Academy, becomes an ensign, and then gets promoted to lieutenant within the span of four years. Meanwhile, Ensign Kim is still Ensign Kim. That kind of really bothers me. And again, bringing this back to the other characters, the fact that Ensign Kim is a prime example of the fact that characters on Voyager don't really ever seem to grow or change. Now, again, you have the exceptions like the trio that I mentioned, Captain Janeway, the Doctor, Seven of Nine. Those are the main ones. And you get people like Tom 
and Torres and uh, Neelix who do change quite a bit, but again, not to the same level. Um, and now one thing I do want to mention about Neelix that I have to get off my chest is the fact that I don't love the way the characters treat Neelix. They kind of make fun of him a lot. They criticize his cooking all the time. No one ever comments on the fact that they like the cooking. They're just always saying how terrible it is, but yet they never bother to say, hey, you know what? If we don't like your cooking, why don't we find someone else that can cook? You know, no hard feeling, Neelix, but that might be better. But they never do that. They just keep complaining about it while still eating his food. And the only time the characters actually do comment on the fact they like Neelix's cooking is the episode after Neelix leaves. And that's in the final episode when Jakotay says, oh, well, you know, Chell, uh, or not Chell, rather, because Chell was going to replace Neelix as the cook. But Jakotay says, well, Neelix left some pretty big uh, pots and fans, uh, pots and pans to fill. So it's like, couldn't you have told Neelix that you appreciated him while he was on the ship? But again, I digress. That's a long rant, but it's something I've got to get off my chest. So again, because it's getting negative, I want to move on to something that I love. And that is the overall message of the series. And the message of the franchise, I guess. Which the message of the franchise is that, you know, we should strive to always be better than we are. We should always do the right thing, no matter what the situation is. And if we work together, we can achieve great things. And I think Voyager, in particular, really tries to sell that message and tries to really convey that. Because it, it is about a ship that is far from home. They don't have a lot of resources. All they have is each other. And so the idea is that the Maquis, uh, a, re- a rebel group that frowned upon by the Federation, can work together with the Starfleet crew and bring in together, or rather, and bring in some other people who are like misfits. You get Seven of Nine, you get Neelix, and all these people from different beliefs and different life situations can come together uh, and, and work as one group to try to get home, and hopefully while doing some good along the way. So I think that is a really, really fantastic message that that the show is trying to convey. And I think it's very hopeful, which I know that's always a criticism of new Star Trek, that it's not quite as hopeful as some of the previous ones. But I would say Voyager, definitely one of the most hopeful series. Now, of course, I talked about the Maquis situation, and that is something that I really don't like about the franchise, or rather about Voyager itself. And that as I said, is the Maquis and the way the Maquis interact with the Federation crew. I think it's a really cool idea that the Maquis are a rebel group and it's like, all right, we're going to have the Maquis butting heads with Starfleet and you're going to be a lot of tension between the two crews. And they sort of do that, you know, fairly well-ish in the first season. But then by the end of the first season, it seems like that storyline is completely dropped everybody's best friends, everybody gets along, and then they might make one or two mentions that, oh yeah, there are Maquis. And then, because they get along, the Maquis never seem to have a have an issue with the rest of the crew. Granted, there is one episode in Season 7 when the Maquis crew does try to mutiny against Voyager, but that's only because of some crazy mind control thing that happened in the past, and there's a lot of mentoring and candidate shenanigans that, that happen. Um, but that's not really something that happens all the time. And generally speaking, the Maquis crew and the Starfleet crew get along so well that you forget that there isn't there is really a different crew, which is fine for the end goal. 
but you didn't really get a chance to see that progress organically. Again, talking about DS9, I think DS9 is a show that doesn't inherently have as much conflict built into each other because it's, well, it's the Federation working with the Bajorans, and that group has generally gotten along-ish for the most part. So it's not that drastic. Yet there was so much tension between those characters in the first couple of seasons that when you get to season three and four and you see them really gelling, it really is like, wow, wow, this has been a great journey. And it really is more impactful. So I think, yeah, unfortunately, they they didn't really do a great job with the, the monkey storyline. And they kind of dropped the ball on that. And before I get into the final thing that I love about this series, I do want to talk about the last negative thing because I don't want to end on a negative note. And that is the overall issue with the lack of continuity and dropped storylines. So when I say continuity, I mean more so the impact that episodes will have on the characters in future episodes and the impact that the episodes will have on other episodes. One of the biggest sins I think of Voyager is that when characters experience something whether it be good or bad in an episode it doesn't really impact the next episode or episodes down the road it just is very static so a character starts off one way learns something in the episode changes but then resets back to where they were before in the next episode so that's that's kind of frustrating to me and an example that really illustrates that point is an episode called Memorial. And that episode's, I think, in season six. And in that episode, the different crew members start experiencing flashbacks to some alien conflict. And it's revealed that in this alien conflict, they actually, that the character, that the crew members massacred a number of, like, I think, like 80 or something different people that were all innocent who were just civilians. And they're traumatized by it. And so eventually they learn, okay, they're, they're not, they didn't really do this. What happened was they're um, by this planet that decided to commemorate or memorialize this atrocity by implanting the memories of that, ex- of that experience into people that were passing through uh, the system. So in essence, they were reliving a trauma that has been experienced by a completely different alien race. And that makes sense. That's a really cool concept. I think it's brilliant. But what I think is strange is that the doctor at one point says, look, you guys have PTSD. You were exhibiting all the the different features of PTSD, all the symptoms. And uh, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it. We can't erase those memories you're going to be stuck with them forever. And so it's something you're going to have to deal with. And so the crew decides, you know what, we're going to deal with it. They decide to keep the memorial up and running so that other ships that pass through the system experience that, but they do leave out a warning buoy so the ships can decide if they want to experience that. And that's that's all really compelling. And this idea that, wow, these people are traumatized by events they didn't experience, and they're going to be stuck with those those feelings and those thoughts forever, really compelling. But then, by the next episode, you don't see it. And in fact, you never even, they never mention this ever again. And you don't see any signs that the characters are experiencing trauma from those fake memories. And that's, and that's Voyager in a nutshell. Something hor- horrible happens to a character in one episode. And then by the next week, they're back, they're fine, and everything's back to normal. And while I want to continue this rant for a little bit longer, I will say one final thing. And then one thing I will say that kind of 
really exemplifies this even more than that episode is the ship itself. Voyager, because it's far from home again, is constantly under attack. They're they're constantly being shot at by other enemies and by other ships. Consoles are always exploding. Rocks are always exploding out of the bulkheads. Things are always falling. You know, stuff is happening. But yet, they seem to repair the damage, no problem. And by the next week, the ship looks perfectly clean. In fact, when you get to the last episode, the ship is in perfect condition and it's as pristine and clean as it was in the pilot episode, which to me is a problem because, well, how were they repairing it so easily? There's no starbase. It's not like the Enterprise D where they could just go to a starbase and get fixed up. But, but yet, they always seem to repair it, no problem. And so in essence, the writers and the producers and the directors and everybody involved in that series go to the effort of not keeping up that visual continuity and showing that, wow, they have been damaged and they have been through a lot. So so that's kind of frustrating when it comes to Voyager and the overall issue of them not following up on storylines or really showing that people or the ship itself is changing from one episode to the next. And again, that's very negative. So I do want to leave this podcast on a very positive note. Um by talking about the last thing that I just love about the series, and that is the look and feel. Star Trek has always had a very particularly cool look and particularly cool feel to me. Um, in Star Trek, you've got all the bright colors, the, the, the flashing lights, all the sound effects, all the technology. All of that is really, really great. But I think Voyager particularly does it the best. I mean, you look at the ship itself. The ship is much sleeker than some of the other ships we've seen. The design is very unique. It looks gorgeous at no matter what angle that's shooting at, which is something the Enterprise D didn't have that benefit of, or the luxury of, rather, because there's a couple of angles that the Enterprise D doesn't look great at, and it looks kind of awkward, like the saucer section is way too big for the nacelles and for the deflector dish. But again, that's not the point. But Voyager, no matter where it's filmed, just looks gorgeous. The way the, the, the nacelles go up, look look great so every time it goes to warp it looks gorgeous and it looks very unique like you someone can see it and go oh that's voyager i get that so i think yeah the ship itself gorgeous and the same goes for the interiors i think it's very well designed i love the bridge i think it's more compact than the enterprise d bridge but it looks more functional and really visually appealing because you've got you know you've got more consoles you've got the main console at the back master display and then you have a bunch of the side consoles on the bridge. You've got the really cool lights at the on the floor that just add an extra like, ah, this is the future. This is space. Yeah, we're really cool. So I think, yeah, I think that's all fantastic. But to me, the creme de la creme of Voyager is the Astrometrics Lab. I think it's one of the best looking sets in Star Trek. I mean, I love the, the size of the screen. I think it's a great size. The, the computer graphics look phenomenal, and every time they're in astrometrics looking at something, whether it be an area of space that they're going to be passing through or just some crazy sci-fi anomaly that is causing sci-fi shenanigans and havoc across the ship or anything in between that, it just always looks really great. I'm always excited for those scenes. And because of the size of the actual screen, there's something about it that makes it look like the room is rotating 
when they're rotating on the screen. I think it's a really cool effect. I'm not sure I'm doing it justice by describing it, but it does look really cool. And then there's the ambient sound of of the astrometrics lab, which I love. Like I can just close my eyes, listen to it, and just feel so relaxed to the point where I think I could just fall asleep to it. Um, but it's the sound design is just on point and it doesn't get better than that to me. And finally, before I go, I want to talk about the warp core. Just want to say I think the warp core looks really cool. I like the way it's all blue, but it's it looks like it's liquid, sort of like a lava lamp. I don't really know how to describe it, uh, but it looks like what antimatter would look like if it was going through a warp core in Star Trek to me. Uh, and it's a huge step up from the plasticky lights in the TNG era, or rather on the Enterprise D and then even the Enterprise E. So I think it looks really great. Overall, I think Voyager has a truly phenomenal aesthetic that I think uh, does not get the recognition that it deserves. But with all that yelling, yammering, and ranting, I am going to call it a day. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. But what did you think of the episode? Did you like what I did? Did you agree with my ideas? Do you have different thoughts? Uh, Are there things that you didn't like about the episode? Let me know. I'd love your feedback, good or bad, because all I want to do at the end of the day is make something that people enjoy and improve the art of podcasting, at least for me. So good or bad, I want your feedback. You can shoot me an email. My email's in the podcast description. So I look forward to hearing from you. And with that, I'm going to end by paraphrasing a quote from Captain Kirk and just say, see you out there that away.